Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Monday. We made it. Here we go. Another work week ahead of us, and we're going to do just fine. A lot has happened since you and I last joined here on the radio to have a quick little conversation. Uh, The big news since you and I last gathered here was the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, justice on the Supreme Court of the United States, leaving a vacancy. And I'll just get right up front with my view on what should happen next. I think that President Donald Trump should, as soon as possible, nominate a replacement and the Senate should commence proceedings to replace her. Now, I say that today, Monday, because I've had a weekend to uh, share stories and comb through history and look through past decisions which have been handed down by the Supreme Court, decisions uh, voted upon by Justice Ginsburg. Uh, I've had long conversations with my wife who uh, read the the RBG autobiography, uh, My Own Words. I remember when she was reading that, all the all the inspiring stories she would share with me uh, about the early days of the career of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I can't tell you what it means to me today, especially the father of a brand new baby little daughter, uh, to know that a trail was blazed for women to stand on equal footing as men, both in terms of education and employment and in the field of law and specifically uh, the highest court in the land, the Supreme Court. I'll admit something to you. On Friday in the evening after the news had broken, naturally, you start thinking about what's next. You may not vocalize it, but the the, the natural uh, thought and feeling is to consider, okay, what does come next? What should come next? And we'll get into what should come next in a bit, but uh, that discussion uh, kicked off almost immediately. You saw uh, various politicians uh, on Twitter, various talking head types uh, making their views known that a decision ought be made uh, immediately. And I, this is where it comes time for me to confess something. I was right there in the middle of it. And I start texting back and forth with my uh, friends and colleagues, uh, speculating as to what comes next, who it might be. Will the president even do it? What's the timeline? Uh, is it possible? What does history teach us uh, about scenarios similar to this? And then I sent a, a text message to uh, Boyd Matheson. You know Boyd, uh, host of Inside Sources, opinion editor for the Deseret News. And what he did was interesting. He, uh, he didn't engage uh, what I had to say. He sent me uh, simply a link. 
and it was a link to an opinion piece that he had just recently published under the headline for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Oneness Never Was Meant to Be Sameness. I'd invite you to read that. It's uh, on the Deseret News website right now. In fact, uh, just after 1 o'clock, Boyd Matheson will join me. Uh, but what, what he was telling me was that, uh, Lee, it's too soon for this. Uh, Lee, the, the poor woman's body is not even cold, and we are already uh, planning how to replace her seat. And he was right. Uh, the, the, the timing was, was poor. And I, myself... And uh, Mitch McConnell, who very, very shortly after the passing of RBG, the notorious RBG, uh, you know, he started uh, laying down his marker, letting it be known what the what the Senate intended to do. Now, here, here's the interesting thing, the interesting situation in which I find myself. I agree with Mitch McConnell. I believe that the Senate should move. And I'll explain that in just a moment. Uh, I, I believe that President Donald Trump, I, listen, you've heard him say that he's going to make an announcement Saturday or Sunday or Friday or Saturday, sometime this upcoming weekend. That's too soon. If you've got someone vetted right now, if you've got someone in mind right now, uh, let it be known. Let that name be known. Let the Senate get to work. But as Boyd uh, very wisely illustrated in his opinion piece, and as I, uh, over time, came to understand is that, uh, that when a family loses a loved one, when a nation loses someone, anyone, but certainly of the caliber of a Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the second woman ever to serve on the Supreme Court, that we and she is deserving uh, of uh, reflection and respect and after uh, that, after Boyd taught me that lesson, uh, I, I did take a step back. I did take a step back, and uh, I, you know, I got online and I started reading uh, some decisions. I started uh, reading some excerpts from the the biographies, and uh, a remarkable woman. And we have, over the past few days, been exposed countless times to the the hardship she faced early in her legal career. Right? Doubt and skepticism. Questions about uh, roles, the role of genders. And she kept marching on. She did so with a child. She did so with a husband who was afflicted with cancer. And she, thanks to that stick and that disregard for the stereotypes and the, the supposed roles of the day, she ends up rising to the highest court in the land. And issuing forth decisions, participating in decisions uh, which have shaped our nation and the way we live and the way our laws uh, interact with us for nearly three decades. But now it's Monday. Now it's Monday and the work's got to start. The work's got to start. And anyone who talks about uh, the anyone who is against a prompt nomination by the president for a replacement to fill the vacant seat in the Supreme Court, anyone who talks about uh, the hypocrisy of 2016, uh, please just know that that those are all distractions. There is one document that settles this. 
There is a, a document that settles this whole debate as to whether or not President Donald Trump uh, would be acting hastily to appoint someone to the court today or to nominate rather and to make way for the Senate to hear and confirm. And that's the United States Constitution. There are those who say that today the president is wrong because the people ought to have an opportunity to weigh in. They somehow believe that uh, should President Trump not uh, be reelected, that it should be the next president who would rightfully nominate someone to fill the vacancy left by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Well, to that I would say, uh, of course the voters deserve a say. You're absolutely right. The voters already have made their say known. They have had their say, and it was in 2016. Voters elected Donald J. Trump to the office of presidency. In so doing, they bestowed upon him powers and authorities to nominate. This is the president who was elected to fill this vacancy. And this is the United States Senate, whose majority control of the Senate was was only grown in recent years. This is the Senate which has been elected to confirm. There are countless Americans who voted in 2016 because of the situation in which we find ourselves today. The Supreme Court, you you don't think too much about the Supreme Court until you do. But when it impacts your life, when it impacts the way uh, our country is governed, those impacts are severe and they are longstanding and it takes oftentimes generations for the course to change, if at all. We knew that in 2016. We know that today. So please don't be distracted. Don't be distracted by uh, anyone who tells you that uh, there is a hasty attitude or there is a political attitude or that there is anything untoward going on in, uh, in, in the Oval Office or in the United States Senate. The Constitution has empowered uh, these individuals to take this action. And as Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself has made it known and said in the past that a president is empowered with the with the authorities vested in the presidency for four years. For four years. Not three and some change, uh, not three uh, and a day, uh, but for four years. All right? We are still in that window. The president has a duty to nominate, and the Senate has a duty to advise and consent. I want to hear from you. Am I off base? Are we uh, on track here? Should we be uh, Should we be learning of a presidential nomination this coming weekend, and should the Senate get to work? I want to hear from you. Uh, 801-575-8255. 801-575-8255. That's 801-575-TALK or via the Utah Community Credit Union text line at 57500. Pick up the phone. Give me a call after the break. It's you and me talking live here on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike this Monday episode. I'm Lee Lonsberry. We are, of course, discussing uh, the life and legacy of Ruth Bader Ginsburg as well as what comes next. There has been 
a lot of talk over the past uh, number of days, well, since Friday evening when the news broke, about how this uh, will totally upend the, uh, the, the political landscape and how if you thought that we had seen disagreement and rancor and, uh, and nasty, nasty politics, that, uh, well, now with this, uh, you ain't seen nothing yet. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to be that way. It really doesn't. We have seen some unfortunate uh, examples of that over the past couple of days. I think that uh, I think President Trump calling into question the the, the final wish of Justice Ginsburg. I, I think that was unnecessary. Uh, you heard me mention just before the break. Uh, I thought it was uh, a little hasty for Mitch McConnell to voice his plans uh, for the Senate uh, as quickly as he did. I, I don't. This will sound morbid, but I think it may literally be true. I can't imagine that the body of Justice Ginsburg was even cold when he made his position known. And it puts people like me in a difficult position because I I happen to agree with with what he had to say. Or at least I, I am today on Monday pleased to know that it is the intent of the majority leader of the Senate to... Uh, to to exercise its responsibility of advising and consenting that hearings will be held and that a vote will be cast should a nominee be made, and I believe that it will this coming weekend. We should hear a name from President Trump. I mentioned a, a moment ago here the, the, the last wish of Justice Ginsburg. This is uh, according to her granddaughter, Clara. Uh, she let NPR know that the the, the final wish... Of, of Justice Ginsburg was this, and I'll read it as it's been uh, shared by her granddaughter. It says, quote, My most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. Let me read that again to you. My most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. Now, Justice Ginsburg was not one to make uh, mistakes she was not one to thoughtlessly communicate. Many of her dissents, as you have read them in recent years, have been incredibly thoughtful. Word choice uh, was important, and I believe, I believe that it was important in this statement she made here. My most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. Now, President Trump could very well be elected, and will be uh, will continue in the Oval Office uh, into the next year. Now, of course, Justice Ginsburg uh, knew that, and she simply here is communicating the desire that she be that her replacement be selected by someone other than President Trump. Those who are using this line and this wish uh, to to twist it and to say that Justice Ginsburg didn't believe that a choice should be made by the president uh, before the election. Uh, they're they're wrong, and they're not paying close attention to uh, what the justice had to say. Maybe the last thing she said. Anyway, I just wanted to uh, tidy up that point because it's been bugging me as I have seen this line used uh, against the the those who would like to see uh, her the the vacancy left by her filled. All right, I've opened up the phone lines. I want to invite you again to, to call in. I want to have a conversation with you. I want to know what you feel uh, about the timing of this. Uh, even if you, do you have even a suggestion 
on who you'd like to see nominated, if you'd like to see anyone nominated uh, before the election or before uh, the swearing in uh, in January of next year, be it Joe Biden uh, or President Trump. The number is 801-575-8255, 801-575-TALK. And first call comes from Paula in Salt Lake. Paula, how are you? Tell me your thoughts on this. So I get that it's legal, um, that it's the system that we have in place for the current sitting president to nominate or president to nominate and the Senate to confirm. But that was also the law four years ago when Obama was the president. And I just think it's as unethical as it can be for the Republicans to interpret it differently, depending on who's whether it's a Republican or Democratic president sitting. Is, is it a difference of interpretation, or is no. there relevance to the fact that the president who nominated Merrick Garland was of one party and the, the, the control of the Senate was, was another party? I don't see how that should make any difference. T- tell um, me, tell it, me why not. The, because it's the system in place. It doesn't say if, Republic, if we have a Republican president and a Democrat Senate or vice versa. It says the president should nominate that's in during those four years, and the Senate should confirm that's in at that time. That they um, have the assault, they have the sole authority to advise a consent on that. Uh, right, I, and, and that's the way it should have happened four years ago. And to me, to have not had it happen that way, and then turn around this time and say it's okay to happen that way is just totally unethical and shows a lack of integrity. All right. Well, Paula, I'm grateful to you for your call. Thank you so much. Let me, let me respond to that. And uh, and I've been working through these thoughts over the past uh, couple days because I hear so many saying that we must let the voters uh, have a say, that the voters uh, must decide. And because of that, uh, it is wholly inappropriate for and uh, a nomination to take place uh, before either Election Day or before uh, the, the, the next president takes office uh, or if President Trump stays in office. Here's what I have to say to that. The, the voters, and you heard me say this already, the voters have decided. The voters selected President Trump. They also selected a, a Republican majority in the Senate. In so doing, they gave them the discretion to uh, advise and consent on those nominees to the Supreme Court however they saw fit. And so those voters who decided to empower the Senate, overwhelmingly Republican voters, they decided that that they wanted the Supreme Court protected uh, by like-minded individuals. And because of this constitutional power, the constitutional power uh, afforded the Senate or at least the majority uh, party in the Senate, there is a remarkable difference between the circumstances of today and four years ago. Republicans were voted into office by individuals. This is, I'm talking 2016 now. Republicans were voted into office to do, you know, countless things, all the things that senators do, uh, but also with the understanding that they have the sole authority uh, to, uh, to confirm a nomination. And in exercising the authority vested in them the way they did in 2016, it was not a betrayal of ethics. It wasn't politics. It was respecting the will of the voters. It was respecting the will specifically of the voters that put them in office. And that will communicated a desire to have a justice on the court, uh, which was more reflective of their views. And so they voted into office individuals, senators, 
to represent them. Does that make sense? Am I clear on this? What I'm try- the point I'm trying to make is that there is a fundamental difference between the circumstances of today and the fact that President Trump is a Republican and the Senate is controlled by Republicans makes it a fundamentally different debate than it was and a fundamentally different circumstance than it was four years ago in the case of Merrick Garland. Final call before we go to break. Brian from Woods Cross has something to say. Brian, how are you? Brian, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I, I can. What do you think should play out here? Great. Well, there, the, I, the only fundamental difference that I see is that Barack Obama was completing his con, uh, uh, constitutional abilities in office. He only had a few months to go. Trump has the potential of being another four years, and so there's a slight difference there. But I think that the, the Republicans made a mistake by not least having hearings back then. The Constitution doesn't talk about parties. It doesn't talk about timing. Uh, it says the president will nominate and the Senate will confirm. And so I think that they ought to go ahead and at least hold hearings and in a lame duck session, uh, if, they can, if, if uh, Trump loses, then they should go ahead and, and uh, confirm. Uh, and if Trump wins, then it, it, the point is moot anyway. But I, I, I think we the whole point about the Supreme Court justices is that there shouldn't be politics involved, and that's all it is. That's all it's become is just politics uh, rather than the constitutional requirement of nomination by the president, advice and consent by the Senate. There you go. I, I'm with you on that 100 uh, percent. We can easily uh, remove politics from this whole thing if we just look at the document that spells out who is empowered to do what. Uh, I'm going to take a break. When we return, uh, my friend Boyd Matheson will join us. He has a beautiful piece right now published in the Deseret News. want to talk to him about that as well as what comes next. He, a former chief of staff in the United States Senate, has uh, some special insight. He'll share it with you next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.